we do want to praise your name here tonight and help that praise to really develop in our lungs, in our heart, in our mind, and help us to just become a people of praise starting this evening. Because you deserve it all. We love you a lot. In Jesus' name, amen. Kids, have a wonderful time. We'll see you later. Well, adults, we're going to have to do something. They are gaining on us quick. This is awesome. Yeah, amen is right. This is awesome. So, um, hey, welcome to Grace Meadows. We're glad you're here this evening. If I haven't met you, I'd love the opportunity to meet you. My name is Dallas, one of the leaders here. We are in the third week of our Hard Questions series. And the first week, if you were here two weeks ago, we talked about money, and how we looked at Luke 16 and how Jesus is teaching that money works best when it is not an end, but a means to an end that goes far beyond itself. And then last week, Tara talked about how do we talk about our faith? How do we engage people and evangelize, essentially, right? How do we tell our story? And she talked about the importance of doing that and talked about some practical things to help us to do that as well. And this series, it's like, it's a really good series, it's really helpful, but there's like no cohesion week to week. I mean, we went from money to evangelism, and tonight we're going in a completely different direction. Uh, we're just week to week answering different questions, and as of Monday afternoon, I did not have a topic for us tonight, and I was thinking, and I was praying about, you know, what do our people need to hear? And uh, I don't often talk about, or at least center messages around what's going on in the world. I uh, just, just don't like to do that until I feel like maybe those things are a threat inside of the church. And so this week there was a theme that kept coming up, kept coming up, and finally I thought, okay, let's address that this week. Now, one thing in the culture you guys have probably recognized recently is that the emotion is king. The emotion is the driving force. The, the emotion is at the control center of all the decisions that we make in our culture. In fact, I was watching a show the other day, and I'm not going to name what show, lest you judge your pastor here tonight, but <laughs> I was watching this dating show, and I was shocked. Even, even though this was a secular show, I was shocked at the amount of, yeah, you guys are guessing which show it is, right? I was shocked at the amount of times I heard the word feel or feeling, I mean, just all over it. And I distinctly remember there was this one lady, she was like, uh, she's like, yeah, I feel like I should marry this guy. 
And she said something to the effect of, don't worry about the bird. He's going to be flying around all night. She said, I, I feel like I'm going to marry this guy. Thank you, Morgan. And if on my wedding day I still feel those vibes, then I think I'll go ahead and marry him. And, of course, I'm thinking, yeah, this relationship is doomed. It is toast, right? I mean, this is just not going to work out. But this is the mode in our culture today that the emotion drives everything else. But then on the flip side of that, we also have a group of people that say, don't pay any attention to your emotions at all, right? And so the question we want to answer here tonight is, what is the role of emotion for the disciple of Jesus? So we're going to process through that here tonight. If you have your Bibles, we'll be in Luke chapter 10 if you want to go ahead and turn there. But now, what the world is doing is not new. Philippians 3.19, Paul addresses that. He says that to the world, to the Gentile people, essentially, their God is their stomach. And he's not just talking about food here. He's talking about uh, the thing that fills them next is the thing that drives them. Whatever their next high is, whatever that next passion, that desire is, they've got to go after those things. The driving force is their desire. Now, before we move forward, I do, do want to say that there is a very good role for emotion. For instance, if somebody is mourning and you experience sadness, that will help you to mourn with them. Or on a lighter note, well, maybe not a lighter note, but on a different note, if you're faced with a tiger, fear is helpful in that moment, right? You don't want to be void of emotion when there is danger present. In its best form, emotion helps to move us towards the appropriate means, and it helps us to be centered together. I think about on, uh, back in November when Cody, is Cody in here or is he down with the kids? Okay, it's probably better if he's down with the kids, but uh, yeah, so he was over here baptizing his daughter. Everything was going well, you know, you're having a good time and all that, and then Cody just starts bawling, crying, man. And I just see this front row right here. All of them see him cry, and so then they start crying, right? And then I see the front row cry, so then I start crying. I'm over here on stage, and then I start crying, and then Justin's standing right here. He's trying to lead us in the next worship set, and he starts crying. And Cody ruined our last worship set, basically. <laughs> that's, that's, kind of, that's what I'm trying to share with you guys. No, in its best form, emotion is very helpful. It, it helped us be united in a really good way. But we, what we have to remember, though, is it wasn't about the emotion. It was about Cody's love for Jesus and for his daughter that drove the emotion. It was not Cody's emotion that formed his love. It was his love that formed his emotion. And that's so important for us. We can let our emotions get out of control, and then they'll begin to run things if we're not careful. But feelings can sometimes be good servants to us. But they are always terrible masters. we got to keep that in mind. When emotions become masters, we become tossed like, uh, like waves, like, like uh, James 1 says, right? We're just tossed around like waves. So, the goal for us as Jesus followers is 
we embrace the emotions of Jesus, which means we kick emotions out of the driver's seat, first of all, put it in the back seat, and then we hope over time to be able to pull out the appropriate emotions. So we want to talk through that here tonight, what that looks like. Again, Luke chapter 10 is a great example. Uh, a lot of you have probably heard this story before, but I'm just going to refresh our memory here real quick, starting in verse 30. Uh, verse 30. It says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, now highlight this part right here, when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. Now other versions say that he had compassion on the wounded man. So the, the Samaritan here is distinguished by the other two because he experienced an emotion, the appropriate emotion. Now undoubtedly, the priest and the Levite likely experienced emotion too. Maybe they experienced disgust for this man. Or maybe they experienced fear of thinking, if I help this person and, and this person dies while in my care, then I'll have unclean hands and I won't be able to perform my job. They were certainly motivated by some sort of emotion here tonight. And so that's the point, is that as Christians... To a large degree, this is so important, to a large degree, we do have control over our emotions. Now, that's a little bit different of a take, I think, than, than what the culture would say right now, right? That we can actually control our emotions to a degree. We can control them. James chapter 4, verses 1 through 3 says this. It says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have, because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive, because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. See, God wants our emotions to be formed around something so much bigger than our impulsive nature. And there are two practical things I want to talk through tonight, but I want to say this first. That we can do nothing without the Holy Spirit in our lives and God's grace. I mean, we've got to remember that, right? We don't ever want, because we're putting in practices to help us in our faith, we don't ever want there to be any hint of self-righteousness that comes about in that. We talked about how uh, grace is God doing for us anything that we could not do on our own. And so it is God's grace, really, that we can do anything. Now, it's also true, we quoted Dallas Willard. we got to get a Dallas Willard quote in there, right? I mean, got to. He said that grace is not opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning. So the idea being that even though grace is not earned, we do have a role to play living in the kingdom of God. We talked about Galatians 5, that our, our goal is to stay in step with the Spirit, right? There's, there's, there's a part here. So the question tonight is, what is our part in terms of our emotions? So we want to process through this 
here tonight. First, uh, let us share the authority of our decision-making process with things other than our feelings. So there's a term in psychology called the cognitive triangle. Put that up there on the screen if you don't mind, Steve. So it's where your thoughts and your feelings and your actions, your will to act, kind of all influence each other. So if um, Kendrick comes up to me and he says, Dallas, I don't want to be your friend anymore, which I hope you don't say that, man. Yeah, okay, he said no, good. If he comes up to me and he says that, then I might think, man, what a bummer, right? And then I might have emotions that come about from that, and then I might act from those. Or um, if it starts with feeling, like let's say that um, I wake up grumpy because Morgan took too much of the covers last night, so I wake up grumpy, right? And I decide I'm not going to start my normal routine because I'm tired and grumpy. Well, that affects my actions. That affects my thoughts, if I decide that I'm not going to do my normal routine, my normal habits, if, if I decide to tell Patrick, hey, I'm not going to the gym with you today. I know you're always at the gym, but I, you know, I'm not going to go with you today. Then that would affect what I think, what I feel, and all those things. And the same is true the other direction. If I dwell in what is good, if I take Philippians 4, 8 seriously, if I dwell in what is good, then that will affect my emotions that begin to be shaped by the things that I know and my actions more fully. I'd love to walk through Philippians 4, 4 through 9 and um, pay attention to how often you see these three things, these, these themes here, the, the thoughts, the will to act, and the emotions. Philippians 4, 4 through 9, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every, every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. So these three things, the thought, the emotion, and the will to act, are all working in our transformation. It's almost like the Bible knew 2,000 years ago what people are starting to catch up on now, right? This is a new theory, the cognitive triangle, but no, we see this in Philippians, right? That, that he's saying that these things are connected and they help us in, be guided in our transformation. Now, it should also be noted that we can make decisions and we can be guided despite what our emotions say. Uh, think back to the book of Genesis with Joseph and uh, the things that guided him truly were his theology, what he knew in his mind about God, and his obedience to God, despite the fact that his emotions were way contrary. If you'll remember his engagements with his brothers, there was lots of crying and wailing and anger and all that, but yet what he knew to be true guided him. He said, um, he said that, you know, you may have meant this for evil, but God took this and used it for good. That was his theology, and then he obeyed out of his theology, despite the fact that his emotions were all over the place. 
He's angry, and yet he chooses to obey God in forgiveness. Not based on the emotion, but based on his theology. And then ultimately, his emotions then followed there later. I think one of the major shortcomings of the culture today is that uh, you are offsetting something whenever you're guided by emotions. Something else gets shortchanged, and in the process, what's being shortchanged is things like self-control. Because if you're guided by your emotions, there's no need for self-control. You just indulge whatever your desire is. Things like the will to act and to submit and to obey, all these things are left out, and our control center for our decisions becomes biased. So we no longer think about how can I help see good in the world? We start to think, how can I get my way? Because it's all about our passions and our desires. We stop asking the right questions because everything becomes focused on the feeling. And so for us, man, we might be devastated. Somebody may hurt us. Somebody may say ugly things, all those. But we have to remember that there's still a will to act in play here. And the best thing we can do is submit to God's will. So what would it look like for us to say, man, that person hurt me and I just I want to strike back, but I'm not guided by my emotions in this moment. I'm guided by God's will in my life, and so I'm going to submit here and I'm going to act out of obedience despite everything in me, despite all these desires and all these emotions here at play. I would even go as far as to say that Not only can you act contrary to your emotions, but you can actually act without any emotion at all. And I just want to read a couple verses to explain that point. Romans 12, 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. So you have the mind and you have the will present here. But we're void of emotion, and yet there's still an act of obedience. Or 2 Corinthians 10.5, it says this, We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive, captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So this is about thoughts leading to obedience, void of any emotion here. All I'm trying to say is that emotions are not quite as important as what we know to be true, and our will to act, our will to obey. Now, even though the emotions aren't as important as the other two things, they still can work in our favor if we learn to control them and use them the way that God desires for us. So how do we do that? How do we form those? Well, ultimately, the end goal is that we want our emotions to be formed by faith, hope, and love. The end goal is that our emotions will be formed and centered around faith, hope, and love. Now let's refresh on these terms because we defined them all the way back in October. And uh, thankfully, some of you weren't here in October. So let's go through this and serve as a refresher for some of you. Uh, Hope, what is hope? Hope is the excited anticipation of good to come. So it's not a hope like, I hope my team wins. It is a hope like I'm looking forward to what I know is to come. So I think about it like if you ever have waited on a loved one at an airport terminal, 
Like you've seen the plane come in, and you know any moment you're going to see that person, right? You get super excited to see that. That's what I think of when I think of hope, that we can operate with sort of a giddiness of saying, I know God's about to do good, right? If God is at work, if his kingdom is here, we're going to see good to come, and I can't wait to see what that is. And so our emotions become formed around this hope that we have. Or faith. Faith is confidence rooted in what we know to be true. Faith is confidence rooted in what we know to be true. This is where I think Philippians 4.8 comes in handy for us. The more that we dwell in what is good, the more our confidence is shaped, and the more we have experiences of emotion around that confidence. Think about an athlete who sort of rests the night before a game knowing that man, he's put in the work, or she's put in the work, right? They've prepared, they've meditated, they know the playbook, they're ready to go, right? My uh, daughter has uh, tea caps this week, which I think is just crazy. She's in second grade, guys, and they're doing tea caps. I mean, come on, what's going on here? I think they're going to start going to like daycares or something soon, aren't they, with those little Scantron sheets? Teachers, do they still do Scantrons? Do they really? They still do scantrons? All I remember from that is they're like filling the bubble all the way or it doesn't count, right? But no, she's doing, um, she's, she's in second grade and she's got tea caps right now. And I thought she'd be stressed about it, but she's been reading and she's been working hard and stuff like that. And she's prepared. So she's experiencing from this confidence that she has in being able to take the test, she's experiencing the emotions that come with peace over that. Or love. Love is goodwill or seeking after one's benefit. So important is seeking after one's benefit. We love something or someone when we seek after the benefit of that thing or that person. Like we've talked about before. We don't love ice cream. We want to eat ice cream. Right? That is our desire, not love. So I want to consume ice cream. What I really want is that bird to leave. That's what I... <laughs> it's so close. Let's just... Can we just like open that window? Brian, will you go over there and open that window? This is awesome. Let's, let's just see what happens. Not so much. So close. That's all right. Thanks anyway, Brian. You the man. Yeah, I might as well just have it ready, right? Now, our luck, there's going to be a, another one that comes in. <laughs> The, the whole family will be here in a moment, and we'll just, we'll just have to wrap this thing up. But no, love is seeking after one's benefit. So sometimes that means hard conversations. Sometimes that means saying no. So when my four-year-old asks, Daddy, can I pick my diet this week? It's, it's love for me to say, no, I'm sorry, you can't do that, because I'm seeking after her benefit. It's not loving to just tell people they can do whatever they want to do. It means saying no. It is loving for me to say, hey, i got to seek your benefit. And for us to be formed by emotions after Jesus is for us to get excited when we see love in action. I mean, do you ever just see love in action and just get pumped about it? Do you ever just say, man, God is working here. This is awesome. Let me just dwell in this space and let me just 
praise him and let my emotions be formed by that? What would it look like for us to just be a people who are formed by faith, by hope, and by love? Ira read uh, Romans 12, 9 for us on Sunday, and it says uh, in part this, it says, let love be genuine. I mean, what a wonderful goal that would be for us. That another version says, without hypocrisy, right? Pure, without hypocrisy. What would it look like for us to let our thoughts and our emotions and our actions be so centered around love that there was more and more purity in it and and our emotions were formed by that love? Y'all, I believe that if we can become responsible for our emotions, I think we'll show the world a different path forward. I mean, people time and time again are saying, man, I'm doing like what I think makes me happy here, and yet I continue not to be happy. It's because we were meant to be driven by something so much bigger than what we're feeling in that moment. And so for us, what would it look like for us to be guided by our thoughts that form our emotions and our actions? Now, oh, did it go? Oh, if we could just open, I mean, if he could just see a little bit better. Come on. Come on, bird. Oh, 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 look. Man, if he goes. Yeah, shut that. Man. Hey, whenever we get excited about seeking others' benefits. Look what happens, guys. We loved that bird so much that we sent it home. Man, I'm so excited that I could just go into another message now. You guys, you guys want to? Let's just, let's just do it again. That's right. That's right. Yes. Matt said before uh, the service, he said, uh, this would be a good time for us to sing the song, My Eye is on the Sparrow. I said, yeah, he's a dad. That was a, good, that was a good dad joke. So, What would it look like for us to be reshaped foundationally? That Jesus guides us, not our emotions. And so as we uh, get into worship, we're going to go ahead, worship team, if y'all want to come forward. Man, what we're about to do to conclude our time together is such a good opportunity for us to take that Philippians 4 model that, that looks at the, the thoughts, what we know to be true, So as we worship, thinking about the words to the song and letting that knowledge kind of form us, and then based on that knowledge, those emotions sort of follow from that, and then there's a will to act, the the, the will to actually just praise God. When all these things sort of come together, then we really do see that, that we change, don't we? That when we don't get the things out of context, when we don't get the emotions out of context, that, that we actually, within the context that God has given to us, we will actually see change and transformation in our hearts because we have God's power in us. We have His grace with us. And so we can step into some of these things and we don't have to be prisoners to our emotions. We can actually lead our emotions moving forward. So during this time of worship, I'd love for us Man, just worship how you feel led. If you want to, like, dwell in the words to the song and just sit there, man, do that. If you want to come to the altar...
because that's how you're going to connect with God and how you're going to uh, grow in your faith, man, do that as well. The altars will be open. I'd love to pray with you as well if you'd like to. Uh, let's pray. Father, uh, we thank you for, for who you are. Man, you're always so good. I mean, we, we've got to start with that foundation of knowing who you are and who you are is good. And so help us to lean into that truth here tonight as well. And Father, guide our emotions. Help our emotions to be of you. Help us to feel the things that you feel. Help us to have the compassion that you have. Help us to have the appropriate emotions. The things that grieve you, the things that make you mourn. Help us to be a people after you. And Father, I pray that you'll also allow us to have the appropriate obedience factored into far above the emotion as well. Father, just help us. We need your help. We need your grace. We need your spirit to guide us. Father, we love you a lot. In Jesus' name, amen.